My name is Carlin Borisenko, and you are listening to the Actively Unwoke podcast. Well, 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 well. I know it has been a metric ton of time since you've last heard from me. It wasn't for a lack of desire to do the podcast. It was just a lack of time, as most things are. I, of course, always have on my wall my list of 87 things I want to do, and I'm about two years behind what I want to do at any given time. So I hope you'll excuse me. I'm a one-woman show, and there's only so much that one can take on at once. But I'm back in a place to begin the podcast again, to start posting again, and wow, have things changed? (laughs) Have things changed since the last time we talked? And, you know, lately, for those who haven't been following along on my Substack, which is Carlin, K-A-R-L-Y-N dot Substack dot com, or on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash at Dr. Carlin B. I've been really focusing in with a high, high, high emphasis on the language of the far left for over a year now. Now, I recorded other podcasts during that time, and, you know, we, we've pittered around the language aspect, but what I realized in the last year is that understanding the language of the left, really understanding it, becoming fluent in that language, is what's required to win. I look back at the book I wrote, Actively Unwoke, The Ultimate Guide for Fighting Back Against the Woke Insanity in Your Life, and I stand by it. It's a good book. I'm proud of it. I stand by the majority of the material in it. I think I got very few things wrong. We always have the benefit of hindsight with some things. However, when I wrote that book, which was at the beginning of 2021, almost three years ago now, I had a much different understanding of the left than I do today. And it's not that what was in the book was wrong necessarily, but the mistake I made was starting with tactics when I should have started with language. And once I learned the language, which came as an accident after spending thousands of hours watching their training almost every day of my life for the past three years, I've taken the bullet for all of you. I accidentally became fluent in their language. And once I became fluent in their language, everything was easier to see. And I can't describe it as anything more than that. It was just easier to see. And I know the same is true of people who have been in my audience this entire time who have also become fluent in their language. We can see things that no one else can see because they're not fluent in the language. It's not a sign of their intelligence. It's that they don't have the right information. So I took a little break from the podcast because it was one of the many things that got sacrificed because I needed to go and do a deep dive into this language. And now I am confident that I have a better grasp on what the far left is doing in this country than anyone else on the internet, than anyone else in this space, than any of the other influencers with New York Times bestselling books or, or, or world-famous podcasts or any of those things. I think me and my audience understand it better because I think we're some of the very few people in the world that are not leftists 
that are fluent in the language of the left. The left uses the same vocabulary as us. They do not use the same dictionary. So that's what I've spent my time doing since you last heard from me on this podcast. And I do intend to kick it back up again because I'm ready to start expanding beyond digging into their language. I've got that mastered. I know how to teach it. I know how to create content around it. I know how to engage people around it. I know how to find the information that no one else can find. I reverse engineered everything. And now it's time to refocus and it's time to make sure as many people as possible know about that. So that's my commitment moving forward. That's what I'm going to be focused on. And the podcast is going to be a key part of that. And one of the things I want to make accessible are just articles that I'm writing for the Substack that some of you may prefer to listen to rather than actually go on and read. Reading seems to be a lost art form in our society. So why not? Why not? And for my first episode back for 2024, I want to read an article that I just wrote titled, Did Conservatives Really Kill Off DEI When the President of Harvard Resigned? It's called The Long March for a reason. Now, before I get into it, I want to remind you that this podcast, the Actively Unwoke podcast, will always be free. I will be reviving my paid podcast called the Inner Circle Podcast, which has a free preview, but then is a is a members-only podcast for subscribers to my Substack, which is Carlin, K-A-R-L-Y-N.substack.com. I have this podcast called the Inner Circle Podcast that I posted a couple episodes to last year. Most notably, I read the Unabomber Manifesto, the entire thing. So if you become a member of that podcast, you're going to get to hear me read the Unabomber Manifesto, and it is fabulous. Everyone needs to listen or read the Unabomber Manifesto at some point in their life. The things that that man saw coming, the things that he predicted before the internet, will blow your mind. The insights he made about the left will blow your mind. Yes, he was a lunatic and he blew people up, but you know, no one's perfect. So the Actively Unwoke podcast will remain free. I will have the members-only podcast. And if you want to support the work I'm doing in general, because I am completely grassroots funded by you, head over to the Substack, sign up for a membership. I really do appreciate it. All of your dollars go into being reinvested for me doing investigative journalism and research and spending all of my time doing this. I'm happy to take the bullet. All I need you to do is come and back me up and make sure I have the time to do it, which of course requires money. Anyway, let's get back to this article. Is DEI really dead, as the conservatives claim? Did conservatives really kill off DEI when the president of Harvard resigned? Let's find out. I haven't talked about the college presidents resigning, most notably Harvard's president last week, over plagiarism charges. The reason for that is not that I don't think it's a victory. It's that I have mixed feelings about it. On one hand, a scalp is a scalp. And we get so few of them that we should value all of them. Well done to Christopher Rufo and the journalists working with him. It's a feather in his cap for sure. But after spending a decade working in higher education, including at and with several Ivy League schools, I can say one thing for sure. Nothing is going to change. The role of the president 
is chief fundraiser. That's what they do. That is their entire reason for being. Claudine Gay didn't need to leave Harvard because of plagiarism. They don't care about that. She had to leave because the coverage was so bad that it was going to be impossible for her to raise the money required of the person in that role. They can just get someone else without the baggage, and who likely shares the same inclination as Gay does with regard to leftist politics. In fact, it could be argued that you can get every president of every college in the country to resign, and it still wouldn't make a dent, because getting college presidents to resign doesn't necessarily lead to changes in the faculty, and the faculty are the problem. Has a single faculty member been fired from Harvard? No. In fact, Claudine Gay was given a faculty role with $900,000 a year salary after she resigned. So much for plagiarism, huh? The beauty of the system that the left has designed is that everyone is expendable. They are collectivists. You serve at the will of the collective, and if they judge you as incapable, it doesn't matter what your rank is or how much money you make, you will be removed and replaced with another cog in the machine. Remember, the people are the means of production. When people cite social reproduction theory, the idea that the social system will reproduce itself until it is disrupted as the reason to abolish the biological nuclear family. They are telling us the means of production they wish to control the most are the people and the social structure produced by the people. The only way to create and perpetuate socialism is to control the people producing the system to make sure it produces what they want it to. Marxism is not just an economic model because economies are made up of people. In order to transition from one economy to another economy, you can't do that without transitioning the people. When people are the means of production, they can be removed and replaced with a newer model, just like parts in any machine. Claudine Gay will be replaced with a better model, one that can generate funds that Harvard needs them to generate, and she will go back to teaching a far-left ideology in the classroom to students, which was supposed to be the very thing we were fighting against. So no, I don't think her resignation must be counted as a win. And if it is, it's a very, very small win, and it's entirely possible that the unforeseen consequences of her going back to teaching students could have more practical consequences. Again, I want to make note, it's not that I don't celebrate what Christopher Rufo and his team did with getting the president to resign, to hammering her every single day. He did exactly what he should have done in that position. He was unrelenting. He didn't give up. He kept going and going and going. I didn't think he was going to be successful at it, and he was. However, just because he put up an amazing fight and just because we should give him and the people he was working with all the credit in the world does not mean that the outcome of that fight 
made a practical impact on the things that he's claiming he impacted. Time will tell if I'm right or if he's right or if it's some combination of the middle. But there are more reasons that I don't believe DEI is dead that go beyond just Claudine Gay and Harvard and the realities of how higher education works and the realities of how the left has taken over every single system in America. There are more reasons than that. And to talk about some of those reasons, I want to play you a clip from my YouTube channel that I recorded on January 9th, 2024. And in this clip, someone asked me first about black feminists, but then I went into a little rant about this exact topic and you're going to get to hear more of my thoughts. So I'm going to play a clip from my channel. If you want to join me for streams, I stream Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. On Saturdays, we go live at 6 p.m. for Socialism Saturday. You can find me on YouTube, on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, and also on Rumble, all just under my name. You can just search for Carlin Borisenko. Should come right up. So I'm going to play that clip now. And uh, welcome to 2024, guys. We're going to have one hell of a ride. Mountain Goddess, thank you for the super chat. Ever since I've been watching you, I see how the black Marxist women in power positions right now are easier to see. They probably think that the DEI BS would, would protect them. I mean, I actually find, if I'm honest about it, I actually find the black woman Marxist to be kind of some of the better Marxists, just because like, there's so no nonsense. You can't be pissed off at like a black feminist. It's just, I like that they're like, they keep everyone in line. They've got the, they've got the best fucking hair. I don't know. I'm not bad at the, uh, the black, the black feminist Marxists as much, but yeah, I mean, they're going to find out that this stuff isn't going to protect them, but also DEI is not going anywhere. I don't care how many times Chris Rufo tweets like we killed off the DEI complex. No, they fucking didn't. No, they fucking didn't. They got one president at one university to resign who will be replaced by someone who is just as bad. And like, I'm not going to say it wasn't a victory because it was like, honest to God, good for Rufo, man. He was hammering that. Like, I wasn't expecting him to get it. I thought the most he would get was she would resign at the end of the year and like go on to do other things like whatever. But the reality is that getting the president of Harvard to resign means effing nothing. Because they're just going to be replaced with someone just as bad. And she's still on the faculty. She's making $900,000 a year. And so this notion that we killed off DEI, we did it. We're winning. We're winning. Conservatives are winning. Such bullshit. <laughs> but whatever. I mean, there there is something to be said for the fact that I do think that... um that DEI as a specific function within corporate America is going to take a hit. I just like, that's like a gut level feeling. Like it's getting a really bad, like, like organizations only do training when they get like virtue points for doing the training. Um, and so I do think that that is a potential like good thing. And it's a, and it's a positive thing and we should be happy if that happens. I just question whether or not that's actually going to happen. Yeah. DEI is an ongoing thing like dismantling the patriarchy or ending capitalism or ending climate change. It's just going to morph into... This is exactly right. You can't dismantle the DEI complex because it's pervasive. It's in, it's in literally everything down to 
starting in fucking kindergarten. And so like to say like, we're, we're going to dismantle the DEI complex. That's like, that's like saying you're going to abolish capitalism. Like, how are you going to do that? Exactly. Well, we're going to get the president of Harvard to resign. Okay. Well, that's nice. And I'm not like poo pooing that like good victory, bro. Like sincerely, but how does that actually move the needle towards what the goal is? Well, everyone's going to see, well, what the fuck does that even mean? It's like, I just, I don't know what these people are doing. They're just like, they're, 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 they're saying they won just to say they won when in fact they may have moved the needle like an inch, but it's like when the left was doing the long march through the institutions, every time they got someone to be the president of a university, they weren't like, we're winning, we're winning, nothing else to do. They didn't do that. They kept the one, they kept the long march through the institutions, the battle of inches. The left never fucking thinks they're winning. They never think they're winning because the revolution to them is perpetual for conservatives. If they have one victory, like one, it doesn't even matter how small the victory is. They're like, we're winning. We're winning. Time to go home. Everyone go home. Everyone, everyone good. Everyone good. We won. We got the president of Harvard to resign. Nothing else to do here. But the left, when they get something like that, they're like, we're still losing. Everyone hates us. We're still losing. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep pressing. Like the left keeps pressing and that's how they fucking win. The right gets one little toy and they're like, all right, we're good. Time to go home. Yeah. Conservatives get complacent after winning a single tiny 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 little battle and they think that's the same thing as winning the war 